0: Welcome back to ASD, A New Perspective, the podcast show where we help you understand what is going on in the mind of your child and encourage you that growth is possible. Each week, we offer the latest in autism research along with other information to help you make informed decisions about treatment options and practical steps so you can create a better quality of life for your family. I'm your host, Kat Lee, and on today's show... We know as parents that something does happen to our babies. What goes wrong? When does it happen? In part one of our podcast series, Dr. Steve Gutstein discusses the studies of the development of typical infants as compared to those who would be diagnosed with ASD. And that research showed no differences. What is striking is that when those researchers studied the same infants at six, seven, eight months later, they saw a dramatic difference. Dr. Gutstein continues in part two.
1: The main finding that's been replicated a lot, and you'll see this later, is what's called the social passivity of these infants who go on to have autism. The social passivity is really... Means that they are acting more like they children acted five months and four months. They're not actively engaging. They're not actively initiating. If you think about a typically developing infant at a very young age, you're really doing. They're passive. You're really doing all the work of engaging. And it really changes later on. So one of the things I want you to keep in mind here is that we're not necessarily talking about a regression. We're not talking about the fact that these children initially lose something, or something happens that makes them. Function worse initially, but we are talking about the fact that they don't develop, they maintain their more primitive way of relating when we start to look at them at that second interval. And so what the scientists are struggling with and trying to understand now is what's happening between that period of time. That that seems to be a very critical period. Now, there may be factors before that that are influencing, but there's something happening in the latter part of that first year that really creates a divergence between those children who are going to have ASD and those who are not. And what I want to do now is to give you some perspective from typical development to help you understand what might be happening is that infants are born with two powerful drives, and I think most psychologists, most developmentalists would agree with this, and neuroscientists. One I call stability maintaining, and that pr- primarily drives behavior during the infant's first months of life. The idea to maintain regularity, stability, sort of get basic meaning in your world, you know, resolve some of the chaos around you. And especially during the first months of life, the need for regularity whether that's physically whether that's cognitively is very very important and to sort of keep things stable you know to maintain things rather than to be disrupted now what in my model and and according to research you would see this receding during the second half of the first year and but it never goes away because if you think about it anytime we're under a lot of stress or fatigue or crisis we, that stability maintained, that need to sort of move away from change and novelty and incongruity and challenge really becomes secondary. We, we need to just sort of have stability, you know, and and we, we do things actually to maintain that stability for a period of time to avoid things like that until we feel less stressed out. So it's still there, but it that hopefully does not become prominent in our lives, especially in children's lives. Now we think about growth seeking, we see it first emerging during the second half of an infant, so typically developing infants, and the first year, and then henceforth we hopefully see it becoming the primary driving force. The psychologists have referred to it using terms like mastery motivation, intrinsic motivation, and personal agency. But even though those names differ, they actually refer to the same thing. There's a basic a universal human, human specifically, motivation for mental and self growth. What we see is that typically developing infants are becoming highly motivated to actively engage, to be active in their world, no longer passive. The first months they're they're pretty passive, right? They can't really use their bodies very well. I think of them as sort of heads without bodies almost because they don't have the motor control to, to affect anything, to influence anything, to explore things very well, right? But starting in that second half of the year, they get to, do, they get to crawl, they get to move around in physical space, and they start developing the ability to reach to things and take them, turn things, and then have some way of influencing their world. They also develop cognitively what we see is around seven months, the prefrontal cortex, or what we call the executive part of the brain, starts to be activated. It's there beforehand, but we don't really see a lot of activation until that second half of that year. And we associate that with more conscious thought, with what we call mediation. Not to be so reactive, to be able to stop for a second and study something before you act on it. So, infants start to become very motivated to engage with their world, with their parents, with their environment. And they're really starting to do things that are enhancing their own mental and self-growth. They're not totally dependent on us to do that. They're going to explore on their own. They're going to experiment, dropping things, see how they fall, replicate what they talk about, replicating Newton's original studies, dropping different things in the world. They're going to do that with us. They initiate those. They become initiators. They're not just waiting or reacting to us. So they're forming a perception of themselves as agentic, meaning being able to be active agents in their world And also, they stop being interested in what's familiar. If they already have seen it, they don't really want to see it again. If they can do it, they don't need to do it again. And so this growth-seeking drive, we say that it really privileges your attention. It really focuses their attention to novelty and also incongruity, meaning things that haven't fit their meaning system. That, oh, I haven't seen, you know, that doesn't make sense given my prior system of thinking. Infants are continually having to upgrade Right, based on new things that they're finding and seeing, continually having to upgrade and reorganize their understanding of their world based on new information. This growth-seeking seems to foster a lot of exploring, experimenting, and practicing. You see infants doing repetitive things, but repetitive things to get better at something, and once they get to a certain level, they go on to something else. And also... What you see it emerging is a strong desire by the end of the first year to pursue and actively seek out activities that offer the infant a degree of challenge. Not so much that's overwhelming, but not something that's easy. They seem to be attracted and will choose, will literally choose an activity without you doing anything that is going to be moderately hard for them and that they have some potential to fail at initially, but they'll be motivated to pursue that on their own. That seems to be an intrinsic, built-in motivation. It doesn't have to be learned. And they actually see, by 12 months, we can see infants making those choices, uh, appraising activities and choosing not to engage with ones that are way over, but also not to engage with ways that are sim- that activities are too simple. And when you, those mastery experiences, they call called mastery experiences, are critical because they are filled with rich feeling and emotion. And the reason they become so powerfully reinforcing for typically developing children is they have that combination of the sort of frustration, the effort you're putting in, the difficulty, and then the triumph, right? And it's it's that big change in affect that, is so powerful on a neurological level, on a psychological level, you go for, oh, this is hard, and we all know that, right? It's something we have to work very hard at is gonna, when we finally achieve, it has much more of a positive feeling than something that comes easier to us. And infants become highly motivated for that, even before the end of their first year, okay? Now, around the same time that infants start to be motivated to be growth seekers, parents, luckily enough, become motivated to be what we call growth promoters, what I call growth promoters. What that means is that in the first months of life, any of you who, of course, raise an infant know that your primary motivation is what we call homeostasis or regulation, making sure the infant is fed and comfortable and not crying and is getting sleep so that you can get some sleep too, and, you know, changing diapers and not, you know, keeping uh, away from sudden movements and um, and loud noises and you know keeping a regulated sort of homeostatic environment for that infant, right? Keeping them feel like the world is somewhat of an orderly place. What happens though is that around the same time that infants begin motivated for growth seeking, parents' motivation begins to change from maintaining that regulated environment, right, to acting in ways to promote the infant's mental growth, and even to sometimes invite, ch- provide challenges for them, to add variation, to add diversity, to add complexity, and certainly to respond to the infant's growth-seeking. So um, we refer to this as growth-promoting, and it's a pretty amazing thing to see. Um, when you look at that when you look at that change in parents. So we see on the one hand we see infants growth seeking. Isn't that nice? We see parents growth promoting. And in typical development, right? What do we see? That it's congruent. It comes together. Right? It's very nice. They're mutually supported. We have infant growth seeking, parent growth promoting, and what that happens when those come together, it it starts a cycle, a wonderful positive cycle where both parties are mutually influenced they're both sort of driving each other pushing each other towards growth in a very positive way mental and self-growth so over many engagements remember we're talking about if you're with a typically developing infant you're home with them you have scores you have many many even in the course of a day you can have 50 60 little tiny engagements with that infant right where this is happening where they are developing this very strong emotional linkage the infants are developing between their increasing personal agency little by little, becoming more of an ability to influence their world, themselves, others, and your role as a parent, parents' role in that process. They're seeing, they're really feeling that connection of you being agents supporting their growth. And if you're a parent, you're getting enormous positive feedback. Every time you attempt growth promotion, almost every time, because sometimes you don't do it exactly right, but more often than not, infants are going to be very excited, very encouraging to you in their facial expressions or vocalizations, very reinforcing to you, very supportive of you. And infants who are really feeling the desire to engage with their world along with you as as a guide, they're going to, on their own, they look for new ways to involve parents in their growth season. So it's a mutual cycle, if you think about it, that keeps moving both parent and infant in the same direction, as that results in what I call the formation of a guiding relationship that both infant and parent are uh, invested in maintaining their ongoing engagements because they are the best way for the infant's growth to occur. Is when the infant growth-seeking and the parent growth promoting are synchronous and are working in unison and are mutually reinforcing each other. We we use the term guiding relationship for that. And it's a mutual enterprise, as you know, our experts tell us, right? Each person's actions and emotional reactions serve to trigger the actions and reactions of the other person, and it's a continuous manner moving towards a child developing functioning, malfunctioning. And here's Cohen that says and near group that says it's not the child's existing set of competencies or the adult's framing and scaffolding, but the interaction that creates the potential. And then one more, the relationship depends upon parents' provision of necessary experiences, the infant's capacity to respond, and the emotional tone of their interactions. Now, I would say that a little bit differently because that last one assumes that's parents who are already initiating. And if you look at actually day-to-day typical development, that's not the case. Infants are much more involved in being the initiators of it. And what I like to use is this analogy of sort of a guided rocket launch. Here's one at NASA. And we, in typical development, without realizing implicitly, you expect infants, once they start to become six, seven, eight months, to function as the engine thrusting, you know, supplying the energy, the off and then the thrust for mental and self-growth. And then if that's happening, Then then the word guiding makes sense, because what guiding means then is you are taking this energy as a parent and trying to guide it, trying to use it in a way that's most productive for that infant. But that assumes right, that the infant is supplying the energy primarily, and that allows you as a guide to act as what we call the guidance system directing that infant's energy in a productive way. And that's really important because that's what guiding is. Guiding is not a, to get somebody to do something. It, it guides are, don't do a lot of that initiating. They do some, but they're mostly being responsive to this energy that's coming and the actions that are coming out of growth seeking. So if you're, if you're going to be a successful parent guide, You are very dependent on your apprentice, your infant, in this case, or child, taking those growth-seeking actions, providing you feedback and enthusiasm. And if you watch typical development, you'll see that through their ongoing, that infants, once they get to that age, in the second half of the year, they're just constantly initiating, and they're taking actions in their world and towards you. And it means that you're going to spend a large majority of your time in what we call a responsive manner. And that means you're responding to their energy, responding to what they're initiating, what they're attending to, what they're looking at, because it's productive. And your job is to mediate that, sometimes limit it, sometimes modify it, elaborate it, sometimes to use it as a springboard for a next step. But you're mostly in a responsive role. And that's very, very important because that is such an alien concept when we think about autism, where, and we'll talk about that later, where parents lose the ability to be responsive. But you also sometimes act to initiate, right? But even when you initiate, you're expecting that you're going to get feedback from that child to determine if it's appropriate and determine what an appropriate one step ahead, initiate, you know, goal would be or what you should add to that activity, to that interaction to make it growth promoting, but you you have to expect you're gonna get the feedback. And then the other thing that you depend on whether you really it or not, really in typical is you're getting an enormous amount of enthusiasm and positive emotional response when you attempt your your growth promotion as a guide. Um, you know, you're just constantly getting affirmation from the infant that, you know, leaves you to want to do it more and keep going. So those are things that I think we take for granted that make us successful as a parent guide.
0: Thank you so much, Dr. Gutstein, and thank you for joining us for ASD, A New Perspective, the podcast where we help you understand what is going on in the mind of your child. And join us in the continued journey as we encourage you that growth is possible. I'm your host, Kat Lee. See you next time.